Uh, one of my favorite things is to welcome new folks into the family here at the well. I'm just uh, really grateful for the church that God has created here uh, in us all. What a joy. Uh, we've got a fun uh, event on July uh, 24th here coming up. Um, can you hit to the sermon slides there, Andy? All right. Uh, we have a picnic on July 24th. Uh, it's going to be a blast. Uh, we've got a ton of games, a bunch of good food. It's going to be a really fun time. So that's at Grace Community Church just right up the road. They've got a huge field in the, kind of their backyard of sorts, and uh, they're letting us use that on July 24th. So there's more details coming about that. Uh, it is going to be a blast, so please uh, set aside some time there uh, to do so. Uh, last week, Brandon encouraged you to cancel your vacations to come, so I would just uh, reiterate that. Uh, cancel all vacations. I'll be canceling mine. So... The good, the bad, and the ugly. That's where we are this morning. We're in our third series on this idea of the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, looking at men and women and events of the Old Testament and how uh, they point us forward to Jesus. Uh, you know, the, the good, uh, we, we see in the Old Testament, we say, man, what, what faith, what courage, what character, and, and how that points us forward to an even greater Savior. And then the, the bad and the ugly and how uh, the sinfulness and the brokenness of men and women all through the whole story of the scriptures point us forward to our need for the coming Savior. Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that's where we've been and that's where we'll be uh, for the bulk of this summer. And we have a messy one this morning. We have a messy one this morning. Uh, last week we looked at Abraham and how God uh, promised him a son and that son was given and and then how he offered that son as a sacrifice out of his love and his faith, his trust in a good, loving father, God himself. And as, as a compelling sermon, I, I encourage you to go back and listen to it if you haven't. And, and Abraham is listed in Hebrews chapter 11, this kind of uh, list of the faithful. And many Old Testament men and women in the New Testament and how they had uh, even some given their lives uh, out of faith to follow their faithful God. And, and Abraham is listed there in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 8, says this, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city whose foundations, whose designer and builder is God himself. By faith, Sarah, that's his wife. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered God faithful who had promised. Uh, this morning, we want to tell Sarah's story. Uh, Sarah and Hagar, and it's a, it's a messy story, and it is not lost on me uh, on the Sunday in which we tell this story. It's a, a story of promises that God makes through unborn babies. It's a story of promises that God makes through unborn babies. Through Isaac and Ishmael and then Jacob and Esau and Joseph and others who are to come. And if you're alive, you have heard of everything going on in the news with the Supreme Court and the Dobbs decision. 
And I don't want to be a place here at the well and a people here at the well where you stumble on other things, uh, particularly if you're coming in this morning as someone who's trying to figure out their faith or, or, or what they believe about who Jesus is, and they're kind of uh, sorting things out again. And you have this picture of who Christians are, and, and you, you, you stumble on that picture because you say, man, right-wing, conservative, Trump lover, this or that, I hate that. I don't want any part of that. It took a lot of courage for you even to walk in the room. I, I don't want this to be a place where you stumble on political issues. I don't want that to be the case. Now, I want this to be a place where we can hear about who Jesus is and all he's done for us, his life, his death, his resurrection. And then all he is and all he's done is our Savior, that that would shape us as believers, as Christians, as a family. Uh, it would shape the way that we live, the way that we vote, the way that we talk to each other about things we disagree about. I want this to be a place where, where we could dialogue about hard topics, where we disagree, where it be uh, about sexuality or abortion or, or race and justice and equality. I, I want this to be a place where we could dialogue about these kinds of things. And I'm very mindful that every sermon is a monologue. And all that could be said about promises made through unborn babies cannot be said this morning. Everything about the history of abortion and all that it entails and, and the mistreatment of women in our country and all that that entails and, and how all these things come together in these kind of political decisions and and I want us to be mindful of all that this morning. So I think the most fitting thing we could do this morning is to pray. And I want us to pray for us as a church and us as a, a county and us as a country. I want us to pray that we would be the kind of place where someone who's had an abortion could walk in here and be loved and cared for and not shamed. Now, I want us to pray that we'd be the kind of place that could dialogue about these hard issues and say, what does it look like to submit all of who we are in trust of our God and all that he says about life from womb to tomb? Man, I'll never forget when Jacob was eight weeks in Courtney's womb. And I go in there and I hear that little sonogram and I, I see that little picture. He's only like this big at that point and, and his little heart is beating and, and it's shooting blood through his whole circulatory system. I'll just, I'll never forget it. And I want us to be a place that cares about those who can't speak for themselves from womb to tomb. Men, women, kids, babies, the old, the disabled, the special needs, everybody. Let's pray that we would be this kind of place, that our county would be this kind of county, our, our country would be this kind of country, that, that little babies would be protected and the old would be protected and everybody be protected and cared for. I want this to be a kind of place where the vulnerable are cared for, and you heard Scott mention it in our vulnerable children's ministry and how we are fighting for foster care and adoption to say, there is a choice and we're here with you, we're going to walk with you and care for you all the way through the process. I want this to be that kind of place. So let's pray. Uh, let's pray for us as a church that we would be this kind of place. Let's pray for our county, our country, our states, 
Every bit of every piece of this, no matter where you are, and let's come before God silently talking with him. And then I'll close us in prayer as we get into this text of promises made through unborn babies. Let's pray silently now. Father, we want to be a place, a church, where people come to know and love your son, Jesus. And then every one of us trust him with every aspect of our lives and align every bit of who we are under him in love and trust and allegiance to him. God, would you make the well of people who are so clothed in humility and love and mercy and grace and justice and kindness and gentleness that we would just shine so brilliantly our Savior. God, would you make us a place that we would protect the vulnerable from womb to tomb. That little babies who don't have a voice and older men and women as they pass on to death would be cared for from start to finish here. That women who are wrestling with decisions I'll never understand would be cared for and partnered with here and walked with here. That you would explode our foster care and adoption ministry in a way that so many would be cared for. That you would bring in men and women who have things they wish had not happened in their past into this place and they would be covered in grace and cared for and embraced by us and by your son. That we not be a, a place marked by winning and saying, Yahoo, look what happened. But we be a place marked by humility and grace and love and justice, protection of babies and care for moms. God, make us a place that understands that you make promises to us and you keep them that you've kept them in Christ and we want to serve him we want people to know him we want our whole lives to be shaped by him and him alone it's in Christ's name we pray amen it's the story of Sarah and Hagar and Abraham is married to Sarah and the context is this, uh, you know, we've had Adam and Eve and the, the fall has occurred and, and Noah has rescued his family through a great flood. And then Abraham comes on the scene and this is where we'll pick up the story of, of Sarah and Hagar. And, and Abraham is married to Sarah. They're named Abram and Sarai at this point in Genesis chapter 12. And then we'll see kind of after this that uh, 
Isaac is born, then Jacob is born, then Joseph comes. He's in Egypt, and all of God's people are enslaved and are rescued through Moses. And, and then we've got the kings, and we've got uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, where we get this great promise uh, in line with the promises of Abraham in Genesis 12, now in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that there's going to be this, this one who is going to come and bring land, seed, and blessing for all of eternity, and he's going to be a king in the line of David, and everyone's waiting, kind of with holding their breath. When will this Savior come? And the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the people, and the events are all pointing forward as we wait for him. And then we have Jeremiah 31 and this promise of this new covenant where God is going to dwell with his people in a special way. He's going to actually get into their minds and their hearts. And they're going to, he's going to turn them through the Holy Spirit, their hearts of stone into flesh. Well, they'll be able to, able to obey him by grace and follow him with all they have. And we're all waiting even now for the return of the one we all waited for, the king, the one true king, the seed, the blessing the Savior, to return and, and make all things new and bring to culmination all of these promises in, in, in a, a real, fulfilled, physical way when we live on the new heavens and the new earth together. And, and I'd say, man, if you're trying to read the, the scriptures this summer and, and want a, a guide for it, go, come along with us in the good, the bad, and the ugly. And snag one in the back, and you can snag one of these books as well to understand the Bible, look for Jesus, and, and take the journey with us. Like I said, we're in a messy part of it this morning. The promises made to Abram and Sarah and how Sarah and Hagar respond. And man, what are we to do with all of it? The good, the bad, and the ugly. We're in Genesis chapter 12 where this kind of first of the major covenants is made. The Abrahamic covenant. Now made to Abram and Sarah together. Now the Lord said to Abram. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make you a great nation, a, a seed, and I'm going to bless you. Uh, land, seed, and blessing. And, and this eternal language is used over and over. It's a mimicked again in Hebrews that we just read that there's going to be a, a builder who's making a home eternally in the heavens for us. You're going to have this land, a place to dwell with God himself. You're going to be this amazing nation of people uh, and so numerous as the stars. And, and you're going to be blessed like crazy. So much that blessing ought to spill through you into the lives of others. This promise is made to Abraham and to Sarah because Sarah is going to be the one who gives birth to the promised seed. That's Genesis chapter 12. And this covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, is going to be repeated a bunch of times and kind of uh, some new details added to it each time. And in Genesis chapter 15 and then in Genesis chapter 17 and, and then again and on and on to the descendants that God chooses through this story. So in Genesis chapter 15 we read this and we're going to read a lot of the scriptures this morning. That's why we didn't read the text prior to the sermon. Genesis chapter 15 verses 1 and following. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a, a vi vision. It said, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus, a distant relative. 
And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look towards heaven, the number of stars, and if you're willing to number them, then God said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham, married to Sarah at this point, has gotten the promise twice in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15. And here in 15, uh, God says to Abraham, he says, look up into the stars. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as those stars. We went on this lake vacation this week, and, and we went out to the, uh, the pier in the middle of the night and looked up, and I'm like, wow, uncountable, and that was the point. Numerous. But Abraham looks at God and he says, how is that possible? I don't even have an area. I'm getting old and we've not yet had our own children. And God looks right at him and he says, your very own son shall be your heir. Not this guy Eliezer over there, that distant relative. You're going to have your own son. And Abraham believed in this time named Abram still, believed the Lord and it And God counted it to him as righteousness. He says, I can't see it now. I don't know how you're going to work this out, God. But I listen to your voice, and I believe you. And God says, by faith, you are righteous. (laughs) Paul will pick up on that theme. It's not the theme of our sermon this morning in Romans. Well, then we get to Sarah and Hagar in chapter 16. Chapter 16, verses 1 and following. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. And some of us, let me pause just to say, some of us know this pain. And there are no answers for it. There's no kind of trite Christian sayings that make that kind of pain go away. Of, of looking to the Lord and saying, why, why can I not... Give birth to my own biological child. Why can I not? And, and I'm not going to suppose to give answers to that. And, and no one knows. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. He had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife, and he went into Hagar, and she conceived. When she saw that she had conceived, she looked on contempt on her mistress, and Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave you my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. A couple things jump out of this part of the narrative. Uh, the first is Abram, who's been in a conversation with God, and, and God kind of steps into the scene over and over again, and they have this conversation over and over again. Here God is not present, and, and Sarah comes kind of with a, a workaround and says, I got a different way there. 
In impatience, the two of them decide this is a good idea. So much for God and his promises that he will give me uh, my own son through my own wife. But, but here we will find this workaround due to impatience and sin due to impatience. So Hagar is presented to Abram. And she conceives. And the spiral of relational shrapnel, which always happens because of sin and impatience, occurs. All sourced in that little phrase, Abram, listen to the voice of Sarah. Implied not to the Lord. Now, they're both in this together. Uh, uh, Abraham is full of sin in his life. I mean, he is not perfect. He, he has given Sarah, his wife, away twice by lying to this king Abimelech and this other king. He says, hey, this is my sister, and he's protecting himself uh, because she's beautiful, and he knows something might terrible happen, might happen to him. So he, he lies. Like, this, this is no kind of like a pure person, Abram. And here it's in his own impatience and his own sin that he and Sarah devised this plan. And listen to how Sarah kind of captures this is then there's content, uh, content, uh, tension between her and Hagar, her servant. And she says, may the wrong done to me be on you. The wrong done to me. You, Abraham, who've uh, uh, deserted me for Hagar. Uh, you, God, this wrong done to me, who didn't give me what I need and what I desire. And you, Hagar, for going along with the plan. This wrong done to me. Devised by herself and her husband. There's this amazing moment uh, because Sarah is allowed her uh, authority over her servant who, who she then casts out of their house. In verse 7, she's cast out, Hagar is. And the angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness and the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? Man, that's a profound question. <laughs> Where have you come from and where are you going, Hagar? That's right where God's going to meet us in that pivot place of running from something, not knowing where the heck we're going. And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, see, the same kind of promise is now being applied to her, uh, that, that another generation will come through her even by grace. And, and then uh, Hagar says to the Lord, behold, you are, or the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, which is God hears. He's with you. You're not alone. You're cast out because of in, injustice and this awful plan. But, but the Lord hears. He's with you, Ishmael. You're going you're gonna to name him the Lord hears as a reminder because the Lord has listened to your affliction. affliction. And he, your son, will be a wild donkey of a man. Man, I got one of those. And his hand against, will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he shall dwell over and against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. You see me. You hear me in my affliction. You pour grace on me. You even protect me here. When I'm running away from something and I don't know where I'm headed, from where are you going and to where are you going, I got no idea. But God is there. And he pours a ton of grace on her. 
He's carrying on and extending his promise even more broadly than expected. Paul will pick up on this theme in Galatians chapter 3 and 4. He's going to say, that was the gospel preached back there to Abraham and Sarah with this promise that, that you'd be blessed and then what all nations would be blessed through you. Isaac and Ishmael, great blessing poured out by our faithful, abundant God. Even in the face of sin due to impatience. The story goes on into chapter 17. Chapter 17, verses 1 to 8, uh, we're going to kind of get this. Uh, God just reiterates the promise again. He's, he's like, man, trust me, right? Land, seed, blessing, it's going to be yours for all of eternity. It's going to come through a seed that's to come. And then that points forward to the, the, the one who's in the line of David. That points forward to the one who's going to uh, fulfill the new coming. That points forward to the one who's building an eternal home for us and our God together forever. The promise continues through this family. Abraham's 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. <laughs> I love it. Chapter 17, verse 1. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. In contrast to how you have just walked. That I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Now he repeats the covenant again. Chapter 17, verse 15. We're a little further down in the chapter. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you will not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. Sarah means princess, so does Sarai. I'm not quite sure why those are changed. Uh, Abram had his name changed to Abraham. Now it's going to be the father of a crowd. I like that. <laughs> I sometimes like to think I'm the father of a crowd. <laughs> it's, a, it's perfect Hebrew <laughs> for the situation. <laughs> Uh, but remember, uh, they haven't had their own son yet. They've had Ishmael. God hears and he sees. He's still present. His promises are still good. So it goes on, as for Sarai, your wife, you will not name her Sarah, Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, God says, I will give you a son by her. He's even more specific. Not just going to be your own son. It's going to be by her, and I will bless her. And she shall become Nations, kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Incredulous. Laughed at the Almighty. And said to himself in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who's 90, 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, which means he laughs. And I will establish my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. God is working an everlasting plan through this family. And they're laughing at him as he does it. Chapter 18 goes on, and, and Sarah's there with Abraham, and, and the, these three, the angel of the Lord comes again, and kind of the angel of the Lord and the Lord himself kind of speak as one. And it might even be God himself as he comes 
to speak directly with his people. Regardless, it's the very authority of God himself. That's why the text often says, the Lord said when the angel of the Lord is speaking. If it's his emissary, it's the same thing as his speaking. If it's him, it's him speaking. And they said to him, this is God speaking, where is Sarah, your wife? This is verse 9 of chapter 18 in Genesis. And he said, she's in the tent. So she's over there in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. It's as good as done. Actually, in the Hebrew earlier, God had used the past tense to talk about what he was going to do. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And God said, no, but you did laugh. (laughs) I love it. You did laugh. You ought to have been honest and repented like all of us ought to be honest and repent, but you did laugh. The promise is laughed at because there's distrust, because the circumstances are evaluated and God is diminished. In impatience, they sin with a workaround plan, and in distrust, they laughed, saying, no way could God do this. And God redeems them both, distrust and sin. Now he's going to go on to redeem them both, our distrust and our sin, to carry out his promises. Chapter 21 is the next time we pick up with Abraham and Sarah. Chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah. As he had said, And the Lord did to or for Sarah as he had promised. I love it. (laughs) It's a great summary of how our God works. God said he was going to do it, and then he did it. All that he had said, the Lord did. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. Now, now, it's easy to say, why'd you laugh at God? But these two are like... It's like when you see someone like a grandma wearing that little bathing suit getting in the lake. And you're just like, that's old, old. I mean, that's really old, you know. And they laugh. They said, there's no way. Look at, look, God, look at the circumstance. We are too old going on 100. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? The Lord Almighty and all that he said he was going to do, he did. And she gives birth, conceived, bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time in which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the son, the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. 
And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac. Remember, he laughs. When he was eight years old and God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. Old, old, bathing suit, old. And Sarah said, get this. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. She said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I've borne him a son in my own age. He will, they will laugh over me in joy where the, the, the uh, incredulous laughter has now turned into just uh, amazing laughter of his grace. Where I was faithless, he has shown himself faithful. I'm so glad my son is named Laughter. It's a signpost of his abundant grace and mercy. People will look at old me and say, how did that happen? And they'll rejoice over our God who has poured blessing like he never could have imagined. See, God overcomes their distrust. And what was laughter in distrust is now a sign of we have a trustworthy God. He laughs, Isaac is named, and people rejoice over what our God had done. He redeems, he works past the laughter, the distrust. He also redeems the sin and the shrapnel that it brings. Hagar is again kicked out of the house by Sarah. Isaac is grown up, is weaned. And in verse 15, we pick up Hagar in this very precarious situation where she's wandering the desert, quite literally, with her son Ishmael. And she's got to be wondering again, does my God see, does my God hear? What about the promise he made to me? <laughs> and she says, uh, you know, when the water and the skin was gone, it's her canteen, she put the child under one of the bushes. Ishmael's under these bushes. And she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, let me not look on the death of this child. And she said opposite him, her son, she lifted up her voice and she wept. Can you imagine the despair? thinking no one's there to help her through this journey. She's got no support, not from the government, not from the church. She doesn't have anything. God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand. I will make him into a great nation. Remember, he would promised that everything he said he will do. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. Come to the well, I love it. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness. He became an expert with the bow. She lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him in the land of Egypt. They go home to Egypt. You might be in a season of waiting. Tempted to say, I'm going to do this workaround plan. It's, it feels a little slimy and sinful, but I got to do it. I got to get there this way. Or you might be in the season of waiting. And you're just thinking, man, I'm laughing at the promises of God because it does not look like he is able to do what he has said. 
I think of this often with our building, right? I'm like, uh, four years. I mean, four years we've been waiting explicitly. Lord, provide us a building, right? Uh, it started at Marvin Memorial. We're like, maybe that was it. And then it's like, nope. And then there was this uh, a synagogue. They were like, maybe we'll sell you this little piece of land. Nope. Then there was Eagle Bank downtown. We're like, I bet this is it. Nope. Then there was this other opportunity. Nope. And now we're in dialogue with this other one. It's like, I don't know. You know, what's hard in the waiting is to say, when, when does obedience turn into striving or sin? When does obedience turn into striving or sin? You know, culturally, what, what Abraham and Sarah do is just fine with a culture. And that's, you know, part of the reading the Old Testament is to figure out what is descriptive and what is prescriptive, right? What is being prescribed to us as a good action? What is being described as just an action that occurred? And, and here, sometimes it's hard for us to figure out when does my obedience or my being proactive in obedience turn into sin or striving? There's no clear answer for that. <laughs> I'll tell you in my own life and, and even the, the journey of uh, trying to uh, uh, Wait on God's provision. I even changed my language in that for the right building at the right time. Uh, what, uh, a big kind of red light for me when obedience has turned into striving or sin is anxiety or anger. It's what we see in Sarah and Abraham's life when, when they do this workaround. Anger. You've you got to get me this. Why would you do this to me? I, I need this. And, and my, my righteous actions have now uh, kind of are covered in my anger or my anxiety because what I'm actually saying is, I'm God. I've got to get what I want now. It's actually not even a promise of God, but I need to have it. That's often the red light for me when my proactivity and obedience is turning itself into sin or striving. I look for anger or anxiety. Uh, what about this, though? Because I'm kind of that uh, ready, shoot, aim, right? That's me. I'm like, do, 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 you know? Uh, you might fall on the other spectrum. When, when does your patience turn into apathy? When does your patience turn into apathy or disobedience by doing nothing? Let go and let God, right? And you're just sitting in the same space, and you're like, man, you're kind of doing this to yourself. Now, this one's a little outside of uh, my realm, so I've asked a few folks, and, and here's what they'll, they'll say. they say, uh, I listen to those around me, people who I love the most who are following Christ. They'll tell me when I'm just being apathetic or lazy. And I look for inaction, right, where the vines are just growing up around your legs because you haven't moved at all. It's hard to figure out. But I think actually even where we most go wrong is we claim promises that were never ours. I think this is where we most go wrong in kind of a Sarah Hagar kind of situation. God, you, prom you promised. We, we, we need a building to do the work of the God. That's not, he didn't promise that. <laughs> actually, he gave buildings to other churches in the area first. And maybe only for all I know. Uh, make sure the promise you're claiming, he's actually promised you in the scriptures explicitly. You know what some of those promises are? You'll suffer for following Jesus. That's one of them. Here's another one out of Romans. Uh, he works all things for the good of those who love him. And then he defines that as shaping us into the likeness and image of his son for deeper and greater joys. 
These are some of the promises we can claim. Let's make sure the promises you're claiming are promises he has for you. Maybe you find yourself in a season of waiting. Uh, like I said, we're, we're still waiting. <laughs> we're gonna, our, our family's going to write our last check to say yes. It's, it's the last Sunday in June. We began this kind of process of waiting last June. So we said, man, man, by faith, we, we, we are, are praying that, Lord, we'll be able to say yes to the next space that you provide us by your grace and your timing and your provision. And so we're writing that last of the $5,000 checks. We have piled them on through this year. And it's, 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 there's that little bit of cringe every last time. Oh, shoot, here it goes. God, we trust you. Use it for your purposes. We'll write that today. A bit of a reminder. <laughs> Finish out your commitments for the say yes. Let's wait on the Lord together. Maybe find yourself in a season waiting somewhere else, so, with some other thing. Is his timing, is my timing his timing? And where must I wait? I think that's the first question we've got to ask ourselves. Is my timing his timing? Often, certainly sometimes it's not. That's the time of proactive obedience and faith, trusting him, waiting patiently, but not going outside of its design. Don't run into a relationship that is sinful or destructive because his timing is not your timing. Don't run into a job because you're running away from another job because his timing is not your timing. Don't run towards something you know is unwise or even sinful because his timing is not your timing. You know, we kind of skim the chapters, chapters 21 uh, back all the way to chapter 12, 12 to 21. That's 25 years of Abraham's life. It's 25 years. You know, Moses, as he's writing Genesis, drops these time markers. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, it says, uh, Abraham is 75 years old. He says he's 75 years old when this first promise comes in Genesis chapter 12 to him. And then in Genesis chapter 16, verse 16, we're reminded Abraham is now 86 years old when they devise this plan with Hagar. 14 years has passed. Waiting. And then in chapter 21, verse 5, when Isaac is finally born, Abraham is 100 years old. 25 years have passed. That's a long time. You may have felt it was long to even just read some of those scriptures. Is my timing his timing? Where must I wait? Where am I, I just decide I'm going to wait? And then second question I think we ought to ask ourselves in these kinds of situations is, is this too hard for him, for our God, and where must I trust? Is this too hard for my God, and where must I trust? I'll never forget with our special needs child that it had been years of battling and it looked like the state was just going to flat out say, no, you cannot educate her in the place in the way that she needs her education. And I just remember thinking in that moment, it's not because my God is not able that we might get a no here. It's not because he's unable. I don't understand why this may be a no. I, I don't understand what his purposes or his plan are. It, it does not make the grief any less real but it's not because he's unable. And I know he's good and I know he's able. 
And I know he'll walk with us in it. Now the state did say yes and education did change. But you know what I've realized at every turn? That's not enough. It's never enough. The only thing that's enough in moments like these and and walking in obedience is realizing my God is able, my God is good, I can trust him, I'll walk with him in this, even this. Patiently, with a signpost of laughter, our God is generous and kind and good, overly so. This is a story of the good, the bad, and the ugly, and it all points to our Savior, Jesus This is the only reason we know without a shadow of a doubt what an amazingly good, what an amazingly able, what a mighty God we have who loves us as his sons and daughters. This is the only reason we know because of what he's done for us in Christ. See, uh, this announcement was made to Sarah, to Abraham, but another announcement was made later to Mary. Just at the right time, that announcement was made of the birth of a son. His name, it wasn't going to be Isaac. It was going to be Jesus, the one who saves. And Mary would look right up and she'd say, how could this be, God? Just as Sarah and Abraham said, hey, she'd say, I don't even have a husband. I've not been with a man. And he'd say, anything the Lord pleases, he will do. And his son is born. He lives his perfect life of faith and trust and obedience every step of the way. Then he's slaughtered on a tree in our place. The faithful one given for the unfaithful. That we might become the very righteousness of God. That we might be made sons and daughters in the line and the heirs of promise. That all those promises would come to fruition. In us, his people. And when he returns, man, we'd have that eternal land to dwell in together. We'd have a mighty nation of his people. A mighty diverse nation of all nations coming together to worship the Son. Who've been blessed in in a laughter, comedic kind of way. (laughs) I can't believe how good you are to us. And for all of eternity, we'd enjoy it. Now we're in a season now where we wait and we say, Ishmael, come on in, everybody, come on in by the work of the Son. Be covered by His grace. A grace worthy of laughter. Let's take and eat together and remember what a mighty Savior we have, what a generous God we have. Who redeems and overcomes our distrust, who redeems and overcomes our sinful shrapnel. Covers us in His grace.